Good morning, Mars Hill family. This morning, our scripture is from Romans 8, 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. co-pastor, lead pastor here with Ashley. Happy to be back. I had a few weeks off in July. And I want to say thanks to, uh, among uh, lots of other folks, to Ashley and Tim and Gary Burge and Bennett Samuel. How about Bennett Samuel stepping up to do a teaching one of those days? Um, and the story, so to continue to move us through the series, I have uh, loved catching up on that. And I continue to be really grateful that we're doing this, that we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. Today, we're going to, we, we take a turn uh, in the Apostles' Creed. We uh, enter into the final stretch of this ancient statement of faith. Um, we, in fact, we kind of come into the soundbite portion of the Creed. This is like the quick tweet section. We're going to address over the next couple of weeks a bunch of isolated statements, statements that have no clarification and no definition. They're standalone statements. So it may be helpful for us to remember something, I, some of the things I tried to establish way back in June of 2021. Um, a couple of things for us to understand about the creed, what it is and what it is not. So first, I think it may be helpful to remember the creed is not an exhaustive theological statement. It's not intending to answer every question. It's a very specific declaration of very specific truths. And the second thing to remember is that it's using symbolic language. And so what that means for us is that we must remember the infinite distance between the human words that we must use and the God of whom we are trying to speak. There is a distance between our language and the God that we're trying to talk about. So as we look at these brief, punchy statements over the rest of this series, let's not lose sight of the creed's function. Its function is as a shared statement of belief. It's not a 
systematic theology. It's not a religious dictionary. It's only doing so much. Now, as we have done each Sunday during this series, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to begin by inviting you to stand if you're willing and able, and we're going to recite the creed. We're going to recite the creed up to how far we have been so far in our teachings, and then add today's portion as well. And so if you will join with me here. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven. The slides aren't coming up on this monitor, if that's at all possible. I appreciate it. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I love how last week Ashley encouraged us, invited us. Um, before she jumped into the phrase for that week, she gave us just a little bit of space to think about and to pay attention to what that phrase does in us. And so I want to borrow that good idea today. That's what I'd like you to do. Just a, over a, the next couple of seconds, read this phrase and pay attention what's going on in your head and your heart as you consider this simple sentence. For some of us, our understandings of the Holy Spirit are primarily centered around a specific denomination's theological convictions. And some of those convictions are that the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit have ceased. That since the first time, since the earliest days, since the time of the first apostles, that essentially the Holy Spirit has been retired and waiting for Jesus to come back. For some of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, our associations are with these strange expressions in faith dramatic healings, these dramatic physical interactions in uh, healings, in words of prophecy or words of knowledge. Some of us have images of religious TV in our heads. For some of us, when we think about this, these associations, they're mysterious and they're outside of our own lived experience. At best, at worst, we feel like we've These things have been used against us. There's some damage associated with them or we have some strong suspicions. For some, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we've understood the Holy Spirit as evidence of spiritual maturity. Like it's a kind, the Spirit is a kind of badge proving that you've arrived at some arbitrary spiritual level. And so the Holy Spirit's presence is like proof or a signal to other people about your arrival. For others, the Holy Spirit is, a, is understood as a power that is imposed on you. 
without your control, and that fills you with equal parts excitement and terror. The idea that at any point something otherworldly could happen in and through you at any time. Still for others, think about the Holy Spirit, and we cannot rationally accept this is true. And then some of us, well, we have regular non-sensational experiences and encounters with the Spirit. Wherever you find yourself along the continuum or in those categories, I think it's important that we would name this. One sermon is not going to do it. It's impossible in one 25-minute sermon to answer all the questions or to address all the misconceptions or the things that we might have as it relates to the Holy Spirit. It's going to be impossible. So I want to let you know right at the beginning, here's what I'm going to try to do today. I've got one idea that I want to put in front of you as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And I think it's consistent with some of what the creed is trying to do for us. And it's this. This is the idea that God's desire to be in relationship with us is confirmed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. That what we see in the Holy Spirit is a confirmation that God is relational. However mysterious the activity of the Holy Spirit, it is how we experience and how we encounter God's heart since the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. This is what we have available to us. It's further confirmation that God desires to be in relationship with us. The church of Jesus, it believes, puts its trust in, its confidence in the Holy Spirit, not because of theological convictions about an impersonal force or agent. Our confidence and our trust, our confession is born out of lived experience, lived encounters with the Holy Spirit. Our confession, our belief is born out of relationship. So when we look over these next couple of minutes, and what does the Bible tell us about the Holy Spirit? I hope what you will see is this relational heart of God all over the place. That's my hope. Now, when I'm trying to highlight the relational heart of God, that is not an attempt. By no means am I attempting to tame or domesticate or limit the Holy Spirit. The truth is the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Von Balthasar, one of my favorite theologians of all time, he calls the Holy Spirit the incomprehensible someone. So this is not an attempt to neuter or to domesticate or tame or to limit. It is an attempt. Okay, how about this? Uh, do you remember uh, in the book of John? Remember we did like a 35-year series on the book, gospel book of John? Um, in the book of John, Jesus says lots of things about the Holy Spirit in John. And towards the beginning of John, he's having a conversation with a man called Nicodemus. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's telling him, uh, you must be born again of water and of the Spirit. And then Jesus says these words, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. A consistent way that Christians, the church, have come to understand the Holy Spirit comes from these words of Jesus. The understanding that the Spirit is powerful and free. That just 
is you cannot harness the wind, you cannot harness the power, you cannot harness the activity of the Holy Spirit. It blows where it pleases. But what that also means, and this is good news for many of us, is that the Holy Spirit is not the property of any specific religious denomination or theological camp. The Holy Spirit does, thank you, Jim. The Holy Spirit does not play favorites with some churches and not others. The Holy Spirit is not limited to those kinds of understandings that we have. Remember, the creed predates our made-up categories of denominations and religious boundaries. The creed is intended to be a statement of unity. This is supposed to be a unifying statement for us about the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who have made the Holy Spirit the subject of disagreement and the subject and the cause of disunity. That's good news for us. Not that we've done that, that the Holy Spirit is free. I love the way Justo Gonzalez, theologian, he says this, the Holy Spirit is never ours to control. The Holy Spirit is never ours to predict. The Holy Spirit repeatedly surprises us, sometimes by blowing as a gentle breeze and sometimes with thunder and hail. Friends, we need to adopt a humble posture whenever we're talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This week I've been thinking about these couple of words from Romans chapter 11. I feel this may be an instructive posture for us as we face the mystery of God. These words from Paul, it says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. There's a humility we need to adopt. So this morning, may we look humbly at the Scriptures and the way the Scriptures deal and talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Scriptures reveal to us God's relational heart. So I'm going to ask you this morning to consider three categories, three relational categories. The first one is this. God in creation. From the start of the biblical story, we find the Spirit is present. In Genesis 1, we find the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, hovering over the waters, over the abyss, over the deep. Ruach, you've probably heard this a billion times. Ruach is the Hebrew word that we have for spirit. And it translates to spirit, but also translates as wind or breath. And so this Ruach, this Spirit, is hovering here at the very beginning. We find the, the Spirit participating in the act of creation, beginning with the, the very start of the story, the Spirit is bringing about new life. And this is significant for us because this names and situates the three-in-oneness of God at the very beginning of the story. The God, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, as we spoke of earlier in the creed. The maker of heaven and earth is present. But John 1 tells us this, that Jesus, who is the word made flesh, the word was with God in the very beginning. So Jesus is present here as well. And Genesis 1, 2 explicitly says the spirit is present. So we have from the start the co-eternal 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have our first glimpse of God as a relational being in this mysterious, self-giving coexistence. So from the start, even though it's this poetic language, we have a glimpse of the relational heart of God. And we see an echo of the Spirit as we tiptoe a little farther into Genesis. In chapter 2, the breath of life is given to Adam, and so the man is brought into being. And then if we fast forward, very fast forward, all the way to Luke chapter 1, we see uh, the, uh, the story of Mary who's met with by an angel. And an angel says, something is going to happen and take place in you. And the spirit hovers over Mary. The, the angel says that the spirit is going to come onto you. And Jesus is conceived and eventually born. Tim Nelson did a good job of helping us understand the Holy Spirit's presence and power in the, in the conception of Jesus. And so it reminds us that this is actually the second time that the Holy Spirit shows up in the creed. It's not the first time. We've already had a glimpse of the Holy Spirit, but here we have something a little more explicit. In the Nicene Creed, um, a parallel creed, a little later creed from the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit is called the Lord, the giver of life. Participating in this wonderful way. This is not a power put on display, but it's an expression of the relationality of God wanting to bring things into life, to be in relationship with bringing about new order, bringing about new life from the beginning of ordered time, first in Adam and then in the second Adam through Mary. Second category to consider, within you. The New Testament is filled with all kinds of moving images and passages about the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of us as individuals. Now, this is going to be a quick, very non-exhaustive drive-by of some of these images. So you may want to write these things down. There's so many other uh, examples. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the verbs in the verses. And notice how the verbs... They're not just functional, but the the verbs give us a sense of this nurturing, caring heart. This is not just a power uh, proving itself. There's something really moving and beautiful behind the verbs. So pay attention to that as we look at them. Jesus told his disciples in John that another advocate was coming. Once the Jesus... Uh, uh, after his death, an advocate would come, someone who would continue the relational work that Jesus was embodying. In the Greek, we, we understand it as the paraclete. Um, it's, a, it's a word we'd certainly describe, uh, uh, um, translate as advocate. But a, a really beautiful a parallel translation is the word comforter. And that's the kind of spirit that we see scattered throughout the New Testament. It's more than just someone to stand beside you. It's someone who enters in with you. So notice over these couple of verses, this beautiful relational heart of God. The Spirit will teach and guide us into the things of God. For we are forgetful, and we desperately need gracious instruction. 
The Spirit will guide us into all truth. For we cannot rely on our own wisdom and on our own knowledge and on our own intellect. The Spirit will pour the love of God into our hearts. For we seek after so many things to try to fulfill us and to satisfy us. The Spirit affirms that we are children of God in that wonderful verse, that passage that Susie read for us a few minutes ago. The Spirit affirms that we are children of God and it reminds us that we are adopted as co-heirs with Christ. For we so often live like prodigals and we're convinced that the Father's love has limits and that we have screwed it up. The Spirit intercedes for us and helps us in our weaknesses. For we often struggle to find the words to pray. And sometimes we struggle to do anything at all. The Spirit searches the deep things of God and helps us understand what God has freely given to us. For we so easily lose perspective and we fail to see and to recognize God's goodness and God's generosity. And the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. For we are self-protective and we are hesitant to approach God with intimacy and vulnerability. Do you see that the verbs there, do you see how relational, do you see the heart behind the activity of the Spirit in those couple of examples? Hold on to that. We'll return to those verbs here in just a minute. One final category for you to consider, and it's this, uh, God's relationship among us. God not only desires to see the flourishing of the created order, and he not only desires to see the flourishing of individual people, but God desires to see the flourishing of people together. God, from the very beginning, has wanted relationship with us together. Significant for us. There's this unique moment in the ministry of Moses Uh, We find it in Numbers 11. And uh, there's this scene where the Holy Spirit descends. In Numbers, the Holy Spirit descends on a a bunch of elders. And the elders begin to prophesy. And then there starts this discussion. Well, should they be doing that? Uh, Maybe everybody except for those two people. There's this little bit of a a controversy. And then uh, Moses has this response. He says, "Uh, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. And it's this wish that we find uh, predicted in the prophets like Ezekiel and Joel. And then this wish is finally fulfilled 
when we come to Acts chapter 2, where there's this frightened group of followers of Jesus waiting around together in Jerusalem. And in Acts 2, it says that the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. And something... (laughs) I'm not going to make it through next week. I want to let you know. Next week, we're going to talk about the church and the communion of saints. Potentially my favorite thing to talk about in the world. Um, Anyway, um, something massive happens in that Acts 2 room. Miraculous things, not least among them a kind of unity of ministry, a unity of language. But more than that, there's this unity around a vision of common life. And people begin to live in a way that we still to this day consider mind-blowing. How is that possible? And what comes out of that is the birth of the church that we have inherited and that we interact with and reenact today. It's a miracle what happened right there. God has always desired a people to be in relationship with one another and with him. So again, I'll spend more time talking about this next week. For today, I just want to draw your attention, and maybe this is for your own reading and study, to 1 Corinthians 12. It's a masterful passage where the Apostle Paul talks about um, the Spirit bringing people together, but also the Spirit giving gifts that would build up this one body. It's probably familiar to many of you. I would want to encourage you to read it through the lens and through the assumption, through the understanding that God's desire is a relational one. And when you begin to see that relational heart and you look at that text, I think it's so moving. It's so beautiful. It's so inspiring. But it's also unbelievably challenging because we have to face the fact that a body of people is not unified. It's not possible without the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That unity is impossible without that power. That unity doesn't come from well-crafted mission and vision statements. That unity doesn't come from good teachings and strong leadership skills. That unity doesn't come from killer music or from kids programming or from small groups, or from good missions work. These are all helpful, fruitful things, but that's not what promotes and brings about unity. The text stresses for us, it is only by the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's activity that a strange, varied group of people could ever hope to be unified. That's it. So we're desperate both individually and collectively, for this to be realized. I agree with the pastor and theologian Sam Wells. He writes this, the church should be about modeling and making possible forms of social relationship not found elsewhere. However, we have to acknowledge and name our desperation, our powerlessness, to bring about these unique relationships without the power of the Holy Spirit. God's relational heart is put on display in creation, within you, 
and among us. We're going to move to the table here in a second. But I want to first return to the verbs that are in those verses that we looked at. Verbs sprinkled throughout these verses today. I hope that you've noticed how relational these verbs are. That they're more than simply functional. That they're more than pragmatic. There's a caring and nurturing heart behind every one of these activities, pointing us again to the relational heart of God the Father, sublimely demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Son, and actualized in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do. I want to take some time and pray in response to these verbs. For some of you, you'll look at these verbs and you will want to express gratitude because you have personally experienced some of these things. Some of these things have been real to you and you will want to say to God, thank you for your desire to be in relationship. And then some of you will look at this list and you will feel mystified or you will experience a kind of deep longing, a longing to know God in that way. So maybe your prayer is, Holy Spirit, please actualize, make some of these things real in my life. So whether these verbs call out of you thanksgiving or they call out of you longing, would you just take, I'm just going to give you 15, 20 seconds, and just pray using your own words in response to some of these things here, and just honestly speak to the Lord. And if you do that in the silent of your own heart, and then we'll summarize our prayers together here a second. We summarize our prayers this morning by singing these words together. Let us become more aware of your presence. God, let us experience the glory of your goodness. Together here. Every week when we come to the table, we spend a 
praying to the Holy Spirit, asking that the Spirit would be involved in those couple of moments. And among so many other things, that is a prayer for us that the Holy Spirit would once again reinforce, would remind us of God's relational heart for us, would remind us that once again we would see the great lengths that God would go to to restore and sustain a relationship with us individually and as a gathered body. And so when we come to this meal this morning, may you be once again reminded of God's great love and heart for you. May these words that we just sang not simply be a section of a song, but may they be true. So friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of surprises, your spirit hovered over the waters at creation and lived among your chosen people in wilderness, in exile, and in the promised land. Your spirit filled Mary's womb at the moment of Jesus' conception, and your spirit came down upon him like a dove at his baptism. And when Christ died on the cross, your power raised him from the tomb on the third day. And then on the day of Pentecost, you sent your spirit upon those fearful disciples, filling them with fire, with power, with wonder, and with joy, and making them your church. And so we gladly thank you with the angels and the archangels and with all the company of heaven singing the hymn of your unending praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So God of comfort and strength, we look to your Holy Spirit to be with us in our sorrow and in our contentment, in our crisis and in our abiding stillness. Come among us now through the power of your Spirit that we may be transformed into your image and our hearts may be comforted knowing once again your great love for us. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he took a cup and he blessed them both and he gave them to his disciples and he said, eat and drink. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And that invitation has been extended to us this day. And in this meal, in these simple elements, we try our best to retell this great story of God, this mystery of our faith. We join our voices and we speak these words every week, saying Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. As you come to this table today, you'll notice a couple of changes. Um, the season of those little self-contained things is over. Thanks be to God. Um, and so there is allergen-free, gluten-free actual bread at those tables now. And there are small little uh, bits of juice. 
And so the invitation today is to take one of both, um, either individually or as a family, and um, dip or drink, whatever that means for you, and uh, consider this um, a little bit more of an actualized meal and a little bit less like space food or whatever we've had the past bit of time. Um, but I hope even the kind of concreteness of this would be another a, a, a stark reminder for you of this great love of God for us. And so, friends, um, over these next couple of minutes, we'll sing and we'll eat. May you be reminded of God's great love for you. So peace be with you, and uh, you can come to the table.